Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. And today, we're going to talk about a couple things. Mainly, we've all survived the Twitter apocalypse. We're okay. Don't worry about us, everybody. And also, Sherlyn's going to be diving into Windows on ARM, which is... Lordy, lordy. Oh, boy. Her favorite thing, which is... No! (laughs) This is the newer version of Windows or revamped version of Windows that's meant to work with uh, low-powered ARM chips. And Sherlyn just reviewed one of those machines. She loves it so much. Clearly one of the highest scores I've ever sure, seen sure. Sherlyn uh-huh, give anything. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to dive into that, kind of what this means for the future of uh, Windows, and also how this may give us a sense of what's going on with Apple Silicon and their upcoming MacBooks powered by their own mm-hmm. chips. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review. That's all really, really helpful. Wednesday night, right after we got done planning this podcast, some major news happened. We started seeing crazy Twitter posts from Elon Musk, Kanye, (laughs) Bill Gates, uh, for this uh, kind of crazy Bitcoin scheme where he was asking people to send them Bitcoin and they will double your money back. It turns out this was a pretty widespread hack and one of the biggest hacks we've ever seen on Twitter. It's a strange yeah. thing because like they got they got access to all these high profile accounts. The only thing they did is this crummy Bitcoin scheme. <laughs> it seems like you could do a lot more. So uh, continuing with the 2020 theme of uh, the dumb reality... This is truly the dumb reality of this hack. It turns out this was, uh, Twitter says this was a social engineering attack. Um, A hacker was basically able to get into these accounts through one of Twitter's engineers um, Mm -hmm. and also an internal tool that they use to administer accounts, which may be more powerful than it should be. So that's kind of all that. Sherlyn, where were you during the great Twitter apocalypse? So, yeah, it happened around like 6 p.m. Eastern, and I was technically off work, but... um, Sherlyn is never off work. I was still addressing some final edits on a piece, so I was in our Slack, right? And as the news was breaking, as can sometimes, you know, happen... Our, our Slack gets very buzzy, like, mm-hmm. oh, crap, what's happening? So, like, you saw, we saw, like, one person. First was Elon Musk, and then it was, like... Well, and when it was some... Elon Musk, we were like, oh, this is a real thing, right? He is yeah. just doing this weird Bitcoin scheme right, because he, right. did, he craves attention. We understood yes, it from but... Elon Musk, but once other people started popping up, I know, I remember clear, when it was just, different. like... So, yeah, so part of our process is we, like, go through heads together as a team to decide if they're good. And one of the original headline for that story was Elon Musk and other high-profile accounts. Then Bill Gates came out, and we were like, oh, God, throw Bill Gates in the headline. <laughs> and then, it's everybody. And then, like, and then Apple happened, and then we had to throw Apple in the headline. So it was, like, ridiculous. It was a lot of fun just kind of watching because since I was off work, I didn't have to worry about really contributing to the conversation. Sure, sure. You were just sitting but, cackling at the, the fire yeah. kind of brewing. <laughs> I was it's amazing because it took Twitter yeah. an hour. Uh, yeah, Carissa Bell, who has been on the show 
and is our social media reporter. She did a great job of kind of distilling all this down to go check out her coverage. This is one of those things where it took Twitter an hour to, I think, even publicly respond. Maybe they were just running around trying to stop all this. It almost seems like uh, this is one of those situations where, you know, Jack Dorsey probably has a big red, you know, shut down Twitter button. Probably would have been a good time to just hit that button. Twitter kept trucking um, an hour or so after all this started. Then I think they disabled tweeting by verified accounts. So blue check accounts. And then uh, it was like... I I don't know what you call it. The inmates running the asylum. Then Twitter turned into this thing where everybody was celebrating the fact that there were no blue checks. Uh, Let me tell you guys, I have a blue check. Sherlyn has a blue check. These are not special things. The only reason we have blue checks is because we work for a place that buys Twitter ads. And it's all a goddamn scheme. Like everything else in this world, it's just a scheme because we pay Twitter. That's all. I don't, I mean, I didn't think that that was part of the reason that we got the blue checks. No, that, that's thought, why it, most media personalities have blue checks is because of that, unless you're a celebrity. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, the justification I made for myself was that <laughs> I actually have had my identity like stolen several yes. times and like people have pretended to be me on Twitter. Well, so I need it, the, is, it is useful for people who yeah. do journalism stuff too, because we, if we spread misinformation, it could be a lot more damaging than, yeah, um, a normal person, I guess. Right, a person who's like, not expected to be reputable yeah, or yeah, credible. Yeah. So anyway. It was very funny. <laughs> I missed the entire, like, silencing of the blues. Uh, so I didn't even know. But when yeah. I came back to Twitter, it was already okay to... Well, I did try to tweet when right. it was, like, You couldn't happening. tweet, but you could yeah. retweet other people. <laughs> and Blue Checks could also retweet their own posts. So it was sort of like, um, just like people pinging from like purgatory like saying hey i'm alive i'm like <laughs> i'm communicating through these random old uh you know these random RTs. old things it's sort of like uh oh. i'm thinking i don't know like a cartoon robot that can only speak in <laughs> isn't that a transformer it really it, it felt like we were all bumblebee from transformers we could uh. only communicate in bits and clips of culture and things we've said before uh, it, it was kind of surreal. Like, is this the future? Is this the future of our communication? I don't know. Anyway, no, it's not the future. No. <laughs> everything not. is fine now. Twitter yeah. is fine. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a bit of a reckoning here because that is a severe security gap. If mm. one not so smart hacker was able to get in here and um, yeah, take over all these accounts. So this is an ongoing story. Stay tuned from us and follow Carissa Bell on Twitter for more details on this. So, Sherlyn, let's move on to your favorite thing. I know you really love talking about this because you love reviewing (laughs) these stupid laptops. Wow. Um, We're talking about Windows on ARM. And this is a special version of Windows that's been recompiled uh, to work on ARM processors. And that's a whole thing. What what do we mean by Windows on ARM? What do we mean by ARM, Sherlyn? So, ARM is a company they design microprocessors and microprocessors are these little things that go in on your processors that run your computers right they're like everything mm-hmm. like a molecule has an atom that sort of thing um and to be clear arm is a chip design company they design these things and yeah. other companies end up building on their design so qualcomm you know with their snapdragon chips uh, they are building on things arm right. initially designs it's kind right. of how all this works out right um, so yeah, so what yeah. they what what Qualcomm would do and say like Intel oh not Intel what what Qualcomm for example would do is they would um license designs like Cortex A7 for building like mm-hmm. microprocessor cores or they could just or like someone like Apple who wants to build his own custom chipset could get an instruction sheet called or a set of instructions from ARM uh, and use that to build their own designs. Mm-hmm. And so, that's that's been true of Apple's mobile chips for a while now. They all implement yeah. ARM design. So ARM Chips known for mobile devices, highly power efficient compared to Intel's chips, right? And AMD's chips, Mm -hmm. x86 chips. Those are things Mm -hmm. made for PCs. They're meant to be more high powered. They can handle a lot more work, but they're not so great in phones as Intel learned 10 years ago or so. Like (laughs) Intel just could not make phones work. So, yeah. Why are we talking about Windows on ARM? Like, what's the whole deal so with this? So, we're talking about Windows on ARM, I think, in part because it's timely because my review of the Lenovo Flex 5G just went up. You know, Microsoft has been trying to make Windows on ARM work forever. But, like, let's take a step back. What 
is mm -hmm. Windows on ARM. Now on the ARM developer page, this is the the reasoning, right? Um, Windows on ARM basically is a way for developers to kind of get smartphone processor architecture into the laptop market. And so they're saying that since there are around 700 million active devices using Windows 10, right. this is like significant for developers to build apps for. And, you know, it will, you know, using ARM-based chips in laptops will enable smartphone-like experiences like all-day battery life, instant, on, always connected through LTE or even 5G in the case of the Lenovo Flex 5G. So there's a lot, lordy lord. I mean, like, oh my God. Well, I can't let even, let like... me just say, so I feel like, <laughs> This whole thing came about because a lot of, first of all, lap, um, mobile chips, ARM chips are getting faster and pretty capable. Yes, yes. The hardware inside of, if you have a leading Android phone right now, or even an iPhone, they're very, very fast compared to what PCs yeah. could do yeah. 10, maybe even five years ago. So yeah. I think the thinking is, hey, these really efficient mobile chips, you put them in a laptop, give them a little more work to do in a bigger screen. And right. all of a sudden you can have a machine that's super, super thin, super yeah. light and can still last uh, a day or so with battery life. Yeah. And it's this weird, yeah. it is a thing that they're exploring, that PC companies are exploring because just we can. The hardware is getting more yeah. capable. This kind of goes back to... Microsoft's first Surface, the Surface RT, Oof. which was a disaster. That's when the whole drama started. That, yeah. That's when it all started. But that was a disastrous device because that thing was the first Windows device to run Windows RT, which is sort of the yep. precursor to Windows on ARM. That was Windows developed for mobile chips. It was awful. It couldn't do any, it could run a handful of apps, but it couldn't really do anything. It could barely and, install anything from the Windows store. So yeah. yeah, my favorite, one of my favorite reviews of that I've ever written was of the first Surface RT. And I think one of my first lines was, I wanted to throw this thing out the window. Yeah, <laughs> It was just such a god awful experience. I think over time, Microsoft has learned, um, you know, the Surface devices have moved on from Windows RT. They've kind of killed that mm -hmm. whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. Intel's designs, Intel's chips have gotten more efficient. So they've been mm -hmm. able to fit into thinner tablet-like devices like that. But there is still a need, still somebody like saying, man, if I could create a one pound laptop, what could that look like? You know, a laptop yeah. that's the weight of an iPad, but has all the functionality that you'd expect from a computer. That is why Windows and ARM is still a thing. You reviewed, uh, what was it, the Flex 5G, but you also oh, reviewed, Sherlyn, the Surface Pro X, which also had yeah. a wonderfully low score. What is, the, yeah. what is the problem with Windows on ARM, right? This is the idea, more efficient yeah. windows, lighter machines, yeah. longer battery life. What is the problem that we keep seeing? Our main issue is app compatibility being very confusing because it's incomplete, <laughs> but also because of the way because of the way Windows 10 on ARM works right now. So right now, and I really I went down this developer hole. <laughs> I go down holes a lot apparently, right? Last week it was Don't go down developer holes like uh, <laughs> you'll just end up in 4chan. It's I not went, good. I I yeah, it was a very deep <laughs> learning session for me and considering this was after two weeks of hard like it was a very hard turn from like studying fda regulations and fcc mm -hmm. uh, telehealth regulations for two weeks and i pivoted hard into like windows 10 on arm architecture <laughs> anyhow windows 10 on arm right now uses uh arm 64 uh architecture on these machines that i've been reviewing recently so there's a difference in terms of arm architecture and x86 which we sort of just went over yeah. which is the intel machines but within those two there's also 32-bit support versus 64-bit support which basically just means your apps are more performant on the higher uh bit number one they're just like faster and better like faster better i mean they support more memory that was the whole idea right with 64-bit apps, which yeah, Apple has made standard as of a couple years ago, Microsoft is yeah. pushing. You can support more memory with 64-bit systems, yeah. so we needed to make that shift away. Yeah, right. But the the thing is, 32-bit still exists in certain yeah. in certain you know for certain software that you might still want to use from ages ago. Anyway, so with ARM. Uh, Windows on ARM with ARM 64, what Microsoft has done is to, yeah, it supports 32 and 64-bit natively through ARM 64, sure. But it for the x86 architecture apps, it actually only supports 32-bit uh, through an emulation layer. Wait, what? So there is a, yeah. Can you, can you slow down and just, so what apps <laughs> can have... I use on a Windows on ARM machine? 
You can use an an app that has been specifically compiled for ARM 64, mm -hmm. which means it uses that architecture and is submitted with that package. Or you can use and where do you find these apps? Are you apps. saying only on the Windows Store? Can you find? Can you yeah. download these apps too? So so yeah. So most of these uh, natively supported apps are UWP Universal Windows Platform apps. These are the ones <laughs> this that is you throw download more acronyms at people. I know. Come on, I know. Microsoft. Okay. But but yeah. So they're all the ones that you get through the App Store, right? Yeah. So they're basically mobile apps. And then you have technically again, Microsoft is saying that it has support for this. 30 win 32 32 bit x86 apps but again like i said it runs through an emulator which means like the whole thing was like developers don't have to do a thing right right it just works it just works it just guys. works except but it's it only working for older <laughs> older pc apps but for all these win 32 apps really what's happening is that the arm that microsoft has designed an emulation layer mm -hmm. that that communicates with the kernel and, and drivers and stuff like that. And it's doing all that part. It's basically like a translator, right? So right. it's basically like if you're cooking from, let's say, a, a recipe in a language you don't understand, and then you're trying to get a translator in the middle to explain <laughs> to you the steps rather than, say, learn the language yourself or have the recipe translated mm -hmm. to your language from scratch. And that's what they're where they're yeah. struggling because so, so they're these, not going to yeah. these apps will run but not as fast as a native right compiled exactly app. and that's even that's kind of sad too because first of all these chips are already slower than yeah. um intel chips and amd chips and normal pc chips yeah. and then they're running older software which is not yeah. optimized so it's like a double whammy of oh a, a slow. really slow app experience and yeah so basically, app compatibility isn't there. Let's just uh -huh. put it this way. App compatibility isn't there. And now what happened in my review, mm -hmm. and this has happened in a lot of reviews, but the most recent one, was that I tried to install Slack. Yeah. And again, they're pitching this as you don't have to make any changes. <laughs> you don't have to do anything different, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I go onto Slack. And like first, you, like I look at my system's software um, information. And mm -hmm. it's 64-bit on ARM, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I am a tech reviewer, and I know what that means. If I handed this laptop to like my neighbor or my mom or right. whoever, they're going to assume this was 64-bit whatever. So when they go to the Slack Well, they wouldn't page, even know what 64-bit means. It yeah, should just work. They wouldn't know. It should. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, if they hand it over to the, six, the, the install page for most things, and uh -huh. if a uh, Install if the page website, where? On the website or on the Microsoft Store? <laughs> on the website. Because okay. the Microsoft Store is better at, like, first of all, the Microsoft Store apps are all, like, already natively supported. Yeah, so yeah. there's less of an issue there. So did you, were you, you were installing Slack from the website, but it is on the Microsoft Store. So It is. But yeah. part of my, just, just general workflow-wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like, who, you, I'm sorry, but who uses the Microsoft I mean, Microsoft okay, first store? of all... Stop. Let's slow down. Who uses the Microsoft Store? People running Windows on ARM machines have to, because that's have the to. only way you get compatible apps. Okay. Do you do you have so Slack? And I is use that thing the all the Store. time. Let me tell you, because I am every week, <laughs> every week or so, I'm resetting up Windows on a new PC. You know, to yeah. review the Windows Store, even though it's not sexy or anything. Um, it is a very fast way to be like, okay, I'm going to get Evernote. I'm going to get Slack. I'm going to get Spotify all within a couple clicks. I don't have to go to websites, you know? Yeah. I'm definitely like much more old school in the sense that like, I generally <laughs> download everything off of just straight the internet. I love going through the browser, the browser being my window, but, uh, I, I mean, I agree with you. Like it might be easier to get all these UWP apps on, it uh, will, the you know, it will definitely be easier to do it through. The it's store. just, I, I'm sort of, I guess, hesitant to run, um, uwp apps on what when i get a again this okay. is back when i'm using intel machines right yeah, like yeah, i yeah. when i have a full desktop experience in front of me why do i want a uwp app like i'm not interested i don't know that's just my experience okay. and everyone let me, has... let, let me just take a step back here because this uwp yeah. slander will not <laughs> stand like even itunes has a supported <laughs> app on the store now windows users make your lives easier use the <laughs> windows store app because also you get the automatic updates you get like all the stuff and it just it installs more easily. It is updated more easily. So okay, Does so it Sherlyn, yeah, it's similarly. the same thing. It's just, they're just packaged differently, and they're actually a little safer too because 
they run in like um, a separate security layer. So it's a it's the easiest way and safest way for Windows users to get their software. It, but okay, Sherlyn, you like to go to the web. That is what you're trying I, to do yeah, with these machines. I'm just going to say, I guess I was feeling the burn from RT days where like Metro yeah. UI and all of that crap was just so bad that I just don't like yeah, Windows the Store. Window, the Windows know? Store, let's get even more confusing. The Windows <laughs> Store now supports normal win ui app so that's <laughs> the windows right, that's apps that style, look like yeah. normal things and not like the weird metro design we used to have um so the windows Are store they now supports both. yeah yeah they're basically yeah. they're not literally exes but they look like you know itunes looks like itunes they didn't redesign itunes because it's on the windows store you know so right. now it supports normal things it supports games because the previous mandates made it hard for the windows store to even have a game and run games properly so okay okay i see where we're right. at so so i mean the messaging i guess should be then that like <laughs> when you're using a windows on arm situation only download from the microsoft store you, uh-huh, uh-huh. then you run into different situation of compatibility where like not every app is on the microsoft store not every at least then i feel like when you're in the store it'll be like oh this app will not run on this machine right and the messaging will be clear yeah. it'll be less confusing on there but if you're but then you ha- still have the desktop experience which is nice to have mm-hmm. but then like it's again like kind of free for all and like wild west as to like what people try to download and install. Anyway, this is the situation I ran into. Slack website, uh-huh. not the store. 32-bit option, 64-bit option. So I received a reader email after the review was published and it was like, you know, very like factual. It was laying out all the things for me. So this reader, Michael, said that, um, you know, I noticed that when you installed the Slack app, you know, the file name said x84 64 bit. So it was even like compiled for the different architecture. Right, right. And so kind of like what Michael laid out for me was that like, and also not like it wasn't something I didn't know. It was more like I missed out this little thing, right? I forgot completely that like, oh yeah, what I did was download an x86 app that mm-hmm. wasn't even supposed to run. Um, so, but Michael also raises the point that this is an issue Apple Silicon is going to have to face and yes. figure out as well. Yes. And Michael also pointed out that, um, you know, what it, the onus is kind of on developers to recompile or Microsoft and these like our ecosystem designers to be like, can you please recompile mm-hmm. your app? So, so Sher- Sherlyn, did you ever try installing Slack through the Windows Store to see if it would work? Not yet, because like if... See, here's here's what happens. If the I downloaded the 32-bit uh-huh. version and it did work through the emulator. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. honestly, it's been running fine. The emulator is fine. There's other bugs with with the Windows 10 on ARM program that that came up during the review. Like right, I would hit, double hit click me, a, hit me. Like what? Dev, imagine you go to like your folder full of screenshots to look at a benchmark result or something mm-hmm. and you double click it and nothing loads. Just nothing. Okay. Nothing. Lo- a window will pop up and it's white. It's just all plain white. <laughs> this it's reminds me canvas. of like my, uh, yeah, 486 days. I remember having to wait for yeah. things. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't just waiting. I waited like 17 minutes. It didn't load. It just straight up wasn't happening. Uh-huh. So there were little bugs like that. And like that that's an, a bug that was captured on our video after I shipped the laptop over to our video producer who was able to replicate the issue on his own too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not just me. <laughs> How, what the shit? <laughs> That shit, I cannot wait until we use that as a laptop review title. <laughs> what, the, what the shit? What is I up also just, with this? For me, it's like, for me, I think my anger is coming from a place of the people who are rushing to defend the system. Yeah, like, yeah, yes, yeah. I understand there are merits, but y'all, this can't happen. Like, why are you defending a system that won't load pictures yeah. on from File Explorer? And here's where I talk about the difference between, like, theoretical benefits and like the things arm and the things qualcomm tends to talk about with these systems it's like yeah when a a windows on arm machine um means you know yeah it could have better battery life it could be a lot Mm -hmm. thinner but they're realistically using it um you will run into a lot of issues and this app compatibility is one of them sherlyn i think even if you were using the windows store properly as you should and uh, i'm gonna show you the ways of the store yeah <laughs> but even if you were doing that you would run into a lot of these issues and it's just not a great experience you know so yeah, yeah. you can think of uh windows on arm is a is a way of running stripped down windows and to me this makes me think of um everything apple is doing right now too because they just announced that they're going to be moving over to apple silicon their own chips which are based on ARM designs, and they're going to be doing this within two years, 
Yep. Microsoft has been working on Windows on ARM, you know, for I think over five years now. But yeah. Windows RT goes back to, you know, 2011, 2012. Windows RT goes back a while. There are yeah. so many issues for developers. Yeah. There are so many issues when it comes to power. Uh, these ARM chips have gotten a lot faster than before, but compared to even a mid-range Intel or AMD chip, I really don't know how they're going to stack up. I, I'm really wondering, how is Apple going to do this within two years and not piss yeah. everybody off and not you know make developers give so, up on Apple entirely? Apple has a few advantages yeah. compared to Microsoft. It only, like, I again, what, part of the studying I did for this episode at midnight yesterday after <laughs> t- finishing edits on my telehealth opus was I watched Rene Ritchie's um, video about Apple Silicon, uh, which he recently just posted, like within the past 24 hours uh, of us recording this. And he was explaining that, yeah, some of the advantages Apple has is that Apple, when they are making chips, they're only making for themselves, right? They're not, so they don't have to worry about like making their design a bit more modular so that like, (laughs) you know, someone who's an OEM wants to like build it into they don't have to make it package it so neatly they yeah. can really like think they about they make it for Apple and that's exactly. that's kind of been the advantage of the iPhone mobile chips and the iPad chips too is that right. they're not building for thousands of Android devices they're building for right. the handful of things that they know that they yeah that they are actually yeah. creating yeah. Apple has also demonstrated that it can do this better than like if it were a full on chip company. Like there are things chip companies will do better because they have the expertise. But let the A Apple A11, A12, all the Bionic chips, they're all just pretty freaking good because <laughs> right. Apple's only building for iPhones and it can do that. And there's just like that video was really great. I mean, like again, I watched it last night, so I can't remember all of it now. It was a 14 minute long video explaining all of this. Um and there's just things that like Apple can custom create its own GPU for all of these purposes. You know, Apple like doesn't have to. I just think that like they, honestly, they bought and because several they have chip companies, by the way. So the, yeah, they can literally create their own GPU right. tech. They really right. they can have a, a hold on how all this works, which yeah. is something Microsoft and cannot do. Microsoft can partner with AMD, which they did for the Surface. Pro, yeah. the Surface Laptop 3, 15-inch, they had a custom AMD chip, and they work together with Intel and stuff. But yeah, they don't build their own chips, not in the same way. Right, and and Apple can do things like uh, have the software speak you know, more specifically to certain parts or whatever, and just to make efficient performance overall. So uh-huh. like there's, there isn't, like there is reason to have like excitement and hope about this. I'm not saying that it won't take work. Like mm-hmm. Apple needs to figure out how to make it work because there are going to be huge benefits of shifting over to I'm, ARM because yeah, yeah, the energy efficiency for longer <laughs> battery life is going to be huge in general. We because think. MacBooks are actually pretty terrible at that compared to most PCs and Ultrabooks. Like g- good luck getting, you know, beyond 10 hours of battery life on yeah. a MacBook Pro, even though yeah. I can regularly do that with an XPS 13 or something. Let me just say, I'm I'm kind of wary now because I remember the last time Apple switched chips and that was mm. from their PowerPC designs. It was like 2005 to Intel. Mm. And to me, that was exciting because Intel was producing better hardware. It would make it easier mm. for Apple to design new machines. And it also meant we could do cool things like, uh, like run virtualized windows within mm. Macs. Like it really changed the whole ecosystem for apple those benefits are not there for arm like it's not it's not opening up new doorways to things it's actually adding more limitations for what apple computers Mm. can be doing so over the next few years so first of all let me just say this real quick (laughs) do not buy first generation apple silicon and this is true for every pretty much every first generation product that's really new let apple work out these kinks because there are going to be quite a few of them. So let me just say, I'm super worried. This is going to be a really rocky next few years for Apple. It'll be amazing yeah. if they really do this smoothly. But yeah, go ahead, Sherlin. Where are you trying to go? <laughs> one, of, one of the things that Renee Ritchie pointed out in his video is that, um, you know, the original iPad was introduced with custom Apple chips as well. And, you know, after a while, we got to a point where on the iPads, the A, whatever it was at the time, like I think the third or fourth gen iPad, he was saying, mm-hmm. was running better than a MacBook. Because again, like just the whole thing was designed better, right? right, and, right. and the whole thing was designed within Apple, so it could run apps better. The, but I still agree with you that like first gen is never really worth buying unless like you're super excited to test something out and you're aware of the mm-hmm. consequences. But 
I do think app compatibility com- compatibility is going to be an issue for Apple as well. Just mm-hmm. that like Apple, again, has more control over developers. They're also able to get developers to do things in a way that Microsoft generally doesn't seem to yep, be able to. Yep, yep. And l- let me just say real quick too, like Apple Silicon makes a lot of sense for, you know, the MacBook Air and maybe even the MacBook Pro, but for really, really high-end work, for mm. video editing, for the work that mm. people really demand from these machines. Um, I think the Mac Pro, I think the higher-end, like the 16-inch MacBook Pro, yeah, I, you'll have to keep Intel around. You have yeah. to keep these more performant processors around. So I also wonder how they're going to coexist. How is Apple Silicon going to coexist with you know the existing hardware? Because are they going to split Mac OS and have two different versions of it like <laughs> Windows is doing? It's all very confusing. I think it's kind of exciting, but um, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm not sure because after seeing all these windows on our machines. Yeah, I mean, like you said, right? With the power, even the so the Lenovo Flex Five G that I just reviewed. Mm -hmm. Another thing that was very interesting about it was that it ran with the Snap. Snapdragon 8 CX chipset. And the X in that name stands for extreme. Sure. So <laughs> that's what Qualcomm said. And it's like, for them, it's like their highest power, like Snapdragon made for PC chip. And it's meant to go ahead against uh, Intel's Y-series ultra portable than in light so, so still like kind of not even the highest so end intel's dinkiest little processors yeah. actually <laughs> yeah so like uh arm has arm probably has some limits in terms of performance even though it does bring benefits like battery life i kind of want to quickly point out those snapdragon mm-hmm. pcs are are a subset of windows on arm they bring things like they're you know they offer lte connectivity at the very least if not 5g uh, I do think, like like Dev was saying, don't buy first gen because this Lenovo Flex 5G is a first gen 5G laptop. Uh-huh. So, like one of the first 5G laptops. Are, do not buy a 5G laptop this year. <laughs> don't do buy not. a 5G laptop if you really want that 5G action. Maybe look at the hotspots because I think those are really interesting. And then if you get a 5G hotspot, then yeah, you could put multiple devices on that, and you know, it's one, not integrated, but it's fine. Yeah, the good thing about the Flex 5G is that, like, yeah, it's not only 5G, you get gigabit LTE, too. Mm -hmm, So, yeah, if mm -hmm. you're looking for that and future-proofing that, sure. But, good lord, it's, like, so (laughs) heavy. It's chunky. It's $1,400 in a global recession. I don't even... This is not the year to How heavy is the Flex 5G? It was, like, I think 2.98 pounds was the... Really? So, nearly as much as, like, a 13-inch MacBook Pro. I, You know what? I'm going to circle back to you. The the actual number is on my review that's already published. So, go read it. Feel free to get angry at me or at the laptop. Either way, um, I, I want, I wanted this to be good, mm-hmm. and I want. I was so hyped for Windows on ARM. I was so hyped for Snapdragon PCs, <laughs> because when I first heard about it, we were in Computex, yeah, Taiwan, two years two ago. Years ago. Yeah. yeah, and I was really, really, I was into it, and I think that. Again, I feel like I'm defending myself because a lot of people are throwing hate <laughs> well, at me. So look up Sherlyn's work on like the always connected Windows PC stuff because that's where Microsoft and Qualcomm were initially pitching this, right? The idea of super yeah. thin machines that could last over a day, having and they're always connected. Yeah, like that. Yeah, sure. That sounds like the perfect laptop for me. But mm-hmm. for now, you're giving up quite a lot to live that dream, basically. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna revisit the whole like window store thing i just need that wording to be clearer i need <laughs> microsoft to make that so much no, clearer yeah. to users clearer. and again fourteen hundred dollars if it can't run every app that you'll ever need is yeah. too much money this was it's a surface problem money. and it seems like yeah, they'll never yeah. be able to get away from it so i have been studying windows 10 on arm for a long time davindra has some experience with it too but i want to know what people out there really think of it like do you, i want you i want to know if you already have used it and you have some thoughts or mm-hmm. if you just are watching from the sidelines and also have some thoughts send us all of those you know ideas and and, and thoughts to podcast at engadget.com and let us know if you're excited about apple silicon because oh boy that is going to be oh boy. dramatic yeah let's move on to some news quickly hey guess what launched this week another streaming service <laughs> NBC Universal's Peacock, uh, boom, which boom 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 boom. Uh, Peacock. First of all, the chutzpah to launch uh, a service with that name right now, even though I guess I, the iconic Peacock of, of NBC really, really is selling this to people. What's really interesting, I think, is that Peacock has a free tier. You can mm. launch, you know, the Peacock app and watch the ads and still enjoy a lot of their shows that they're offering so that includes a lot of NBC content 
um, some sports. Uh, they're going to be launching a 24-hour t- Today Show type mm. deal, which to me sounds like a nightmare. But <clears throat> okay, okay, we're go- we're going with this. It's kind of interesting in that respect. But man, there's a $5 plan that's like premium with fewer ads and a $10 plan that has no ads at all. They don't really have much original content, although I've heard a couple mm. things about... Some of their shows, like I think there's one called The Capture that's supposed to be really good. Hmm. Um, it's just so I, I, it, yeah, it's coming in such a weird point. What, what do you? I think don't about? think I don't think that that 24 hour live stream thing is going to be sustainable. It's not going to be a live stream. It's going to be content, like scheduled okay. content of the Today Show and rerunning segments and things like that. Is and would that be like um, f- in the free tier accessible by the free tier or is that paid? I content, believe so. I believe so. The the there is okay. the paid content is mainly for things like sports. So, like the okay. Premier League, uh, if the next season is actually happening, that's going to be on Peacock. You have to okay. pay for that. That is carrying over stuff from NBC's previous paid sports services. It gets all really confusing. But they, you know, they are offering some things. I think sports fans in particular will appreciate mm-hmm. some of this. But man, who needs I don't another, need another one of these I don't need- right now? <laughs> You're really just going with it, so... I also... The only reason I kind of, like, Peacock caught my eye this week was that it was trending on Twitter, hashtag join the flock. And to your point, Devendra, you mentioned this. It is so, so cheesy. It's I just, so cheesy. What? I was like, All right, mm-hmm. is this really your hashtag, Peacock? Well, here's okay. the thing. Like, we don't... Peacock isn't really getting much uh, fanfare. I don't mm-hmm. think it's getting as hyped up as something like Quibi. It will last. Like it will probably be the yeah. thing that will still be up and running after Quibi dies because it has a free tier. You know, people could just sit there and watch it and not have to like actually pay anything. So I think that yeah. makes it a little more compelling. But yeah, I just I I, I have so much I energy. Like I've been yeah. trying to keep up on everything on Apple TV and Disney Plus and HBO Max and everything right now. This final yeah. one, I just I don't know if I have the energy for it. So Peacock is here. I don't know. What sound does a peacock make? Nobody knows. I was going, Nobody yeah. Nobody like, knows. What are we going to know? In other news, we also got a bit of a climate plan from Joe oh, Biden, yeah. the presumptive Democratic nominee. And it's Ooh. it's a, just, just a little a little $2 trillion climate plan that no big deal. is focusing on clean energy and transportation and things and jobs related to clean energy that could help That's a lot uh, of money. rebuild the country that's a lot of money that's a pretty good plan i think it's the yeah most widespread climate plan certainly we've ever heard from a you know a leading nominee Incoming. and certainly a democratic yeah. nominee so ish yeah go check out the reporting on this um i don't think we haven't covered it specifically but uh the new york times has a couple great pieces on it i think this is all really interesting and exciting and on a personal level like to me we're facing a global recession right now. And also in America, we're facing widespread unemployment at unprecedented levels, focusing on things like climate change and how you could create jobs around that. Um, You know, in the past, during the whole COVID uh, epidemic, we've Mm. basically lost all the solar um, installation jobs that have been building Mm. up over the last few years. And to me, that's really sad because that is the sort of thing where you could take somebody who has you know, skills already for mm-hmm. maybe industries that may be dying out and just reapply it to like, hey, just just put these things on roofs, learn some new skills to kind of help the country clean up our energy. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of potential there. People need jobs and we need yeah. we need to do more work towards climate change. So this is all very exciting to me. I hope it actually goes somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. I'm worried because we're still a country that is debating the value of masks. And I, I, I worry about a lot of things. Speaking about masks and speaking about myths i want to throw a quick shout out to something facebook is actually doing that's you just won't stop talking about facebook will you they've launched a new section to fight coronavirus myths and after you know we rag on them quite a bit because they honestly Mm. can't do much right this is good you know this is a company with what over three billion users and putting good information out there and squashing conspiracies sure that's where is where is this new section at the top of the news feed or I, I have not seen it specifically. Um, it looks like it's another section that shows up, yeah, when you log into Facebook. So, yeah, mm-hmm. because one of the things that Facebook was trying to do was also have a box at the top of everyone's uh, news feeds was to, like, have voter registration information for people of voting age in the U.S. And it's just like, okay, so now you have this section <laughs> as well on top of it. Like, 
Carissa, I think, said in our Slack one day, like, oh, the newsfeed's just going to be like myth debunking zone now, or like the newsfeed's going to be PSAs now because that's what <laughs> Facebook has been doing. I do think it's a good move on their part to like do that. It's you know they need to they need to stop misinformation on their platform. They need to do better. This is a good maybe a good start. I don't know. I don't think we've all ever it's seen a this though. Start. It's a start and it's it's something we at least I can't just like say hey this is terrible. So it's Yeah. Something so, good for Facebook. Yeah. Ba- based on the screenshot that we saw via CNBC report, it does look like a little a, a panel or a card at the top of the yeah. news feed right after everyone's stories on your feed. Uh you know, the sample that I see says wear a cloth face clothing to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Sure, like okay, great Facebook, but there's still going to be people who refuse to see that message. Yeah, so it, the just... good messaging is one thing, but also actively fighting against misinformation is something yeah. the company still needs to do better with. So we shall see. Speaking of coronavirus and a global health pandemic, oh boy, I my that telehealth thing that I've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks, yeah, that's finally going live. I thought I submitted 5,500 words to our managing editor on this topic. Actually, I only submitted 2,400, but that is still a very long uh, article for a non-review, for a non-flagship review for us, so... Take a read. It's been really nice to work on like so much reporting. I was able to like talk to a lot of doctors, telehealth operators or or people working in telehealth and patients and the AMA and the FCC and the FDA. Like it was just so great to do so much reporting on this one topic and learn about all of the stuff that's going on. Basically, my, the main takeaway from my article is that like yes, telehealth can be good, but it could we it could also exacerbate certain like disparities in the healthcare system if we don't have policies that like look at the accessibility of it all mm-hmm. so you know the rich poor divide is only going to get worse yeah. if we just rely on telehealth way too much and you know people without access to things like broadband or even like ample providers in where they live in rural places or insurance you know in, ex- insurance is a huge part yeah yeah people are losing yep. work insurance is tied to your work and yep the it's a, alternatives yeah. are not great so yeah. yeah so there's there's a lot of the the heartening thing during my reporting that I found out was that a lot of regulation is being drawn up or a lot of bills are being proposed to a fight for price transparency for um uh for the patients for the consumers b to support the adoption and rise of telehealth and c find funding to bring these to like more people so it's hopeful but it, it we need to like people need to be aware that there are issues so that we can address them mm-hmm. That went up, but the work doesn't stop there. I uh, also am working on some stuff. That next week's going to be basically an entire crap show. So <laughs> we are expecting, uh, you know, high-profile events to happen soon. So August fifth, once again, is some Samsung's Galaxy Unpacked, and uh, you know, we usually do some prep work ahead of time for that. So that's coming up very soon. And you know, August is expected to be a device-heavy month. So we'll see. I there's really a lot I can't share right now, but I can tell you, <laughs> stuff is coming. Expect some reviews. Expect some cool expect long-awaited some... devices. How about that? Yeah, there you go. I'm How about you, on, Yeah, I'm working on a couple of things. Um, I'm writing up an explainer about Thunderbolt 4, which uh, I mm. talked a bit about last week. We're going to be doing a video on that um, just because I think it is interesting. I've talked to Intel about it. Um, it really does seem more like something that should be Thunderbolt 3.5, but there are enough new things to make it interesting and mm. maybe make your next PC a little faster and a little more capable. So I find that mm-hmm. really interesting. And I'm also going to be diving into a review of the XPS 17, Dell's, Woo! you know, the first 17-inch XPS in a very long time. I think it's been 10 years since the last one. This thing, I... it's glorious. It has a major screen. Mm-hmm. What's up? What's up? Can I? No, I was going to predict the score and like how you're going to evaluate this already. I, I predict you're going to love this, yeah. and I predict that the score is going to come in like high 80s, just below 90. I mean, on our review probably, scale. probably because yeah. it is. It's a sort. It's very nice machine. It has an amazing screen, and Dell's whole new design where there's barely any bezel. There's no screen bezel at the bottom. You know, the screen like kisses the keyboard area. It's yeah. just like beautiful. wow. It's like right there. Um. I think that design still works really well, but this laptop, you know, it's it's five and a half pounds or so, which is Mm. not bad for a 17-inch machine. Mm. So I'm pretty sure they're going to be like video editors and people 
who are into this um i do think like most people are better off with the 13 uh, or mm. even the 15 inch like that's just a better balance of size and portability and power but hey this is out and it's pretty cool so i gotta i gotta give credit to dell for actually delivering a 17 inch laptop in a time when not many people are doing that check out the check out the lg gram 17 too when while you're at it <laughs> Let's move on to our picks for the week. Uh, one thing I'd recommend to everybody right now is the new Perry Mason reboot that's on HBO. Mm. I don't care about Perry Mason at all. I never watched that show growing up, even though I watched a lot of old classic TV. But this show, it's like a hard-boiled noir version of Perry Mason starring uh, Matthew Reese from... Uh, the Americans and a bunch of other movies. Mm. I love him as an actor and I love, I love noir. I love like smoky rooms and hard boiled detectives and nefarious things happening among the rich people in Los Angeles. And the show has all that and also looks amazing. So I'm really down with it. I think it can get really campy at times, but in a way that I think is really entertaining and fun. So shout out to that. I also mm. want to say something uh, something about Grant Imahara, the Mythbusters yeah. co-host. Famous, Oof. like, I love this guy. Watching this guy on TV m- made me think I could do stuff around tech. And seeing somebody be so geeky really inspired me at a, you know, at a young age. He passed away suddenly this year at 49. Um, mm. It was a brain so aneurysm, I believe. Jeez. Yeah, incredibly young. I just want to say, you know, yeah. Shout out to Grant Imahara for all the work he has done, for all the lives he's touched. He's a really remarkable person. And so, like, he was so unabashedly nerdy. And I always love that about Mm. him and the rest of the Mythbusters crew. He will be missed. It's terribly sad. I think that it brought about a renaissance of making science fun, something that, that people could relate to and say, oh, science isn't boring. It's explosions and car crashes it's really a fun world to open up to totally confirmed so i've got a mix of like somber and fun uh things to recommend so let's start with the fun i think um first of all (laughs) i finally started watching hannibal oh yeah on netflix which davindra insists he recommended to me but okay i don't know if y'all can find an episode where he did probably not on the show but in person (laughs) i told you to watch this oh okay but i really enjoy hugh dancy plays uh will graham uh an f sort of an fbi uh psychologist helping to track serial killers down this is really in my wheelhouse the behavioral analysis unit is something i follow religiously um at least on tv and yeah it's it's really great it's a very weird show in terms of its depiction yeah. of like it's it. so weird i love uh, it very graphic this yeah, show but... this show aired on nbc <laughs> Sherlyn. This, this show aired on broadcast television that's crazy that's crazy ago. so hannibal like really pushed the boundaries for like yeah. gore and what was acceptable yeah. and like it is it it's was a great. beautiful show. It is like yeah. horror turned into art because you know, yeah, we, we know the Hannibal Lecter story, right? It's been retold a bunch yeah. of times, but yeah. I love everything about the show. So I'm glad you're watching it. I feel like um, my man, Mads Mikkelsen, who I love, the villain from Casino yeah. Royale. He's been in plenty of movies recently, too. He is such a tremendous actor and a perfect, oh my gosh. perfect Hannibal. He's incredible so. in this. He yeah. is incredible in this. And like, just, it kind of feels like a very macabre Bon Appetit video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when yeah, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. watching him in the kitchen. Yeah. I will just leave it at that because I haven't watched the, all of the season. Yeah, I just enjoy, anyway, Hannibal is on Hannibal's Netflix. Hannibal's on Netflix. Which, um, it's great. And they and may they may end up doing I believe a season four or some sort of movie like they're it's talking about it. It's already season four, I think. They may they may do yeah season a five, season maybe. five or like some sort of movie follow up. I yeah. They had teased. So first of all, the guy who did Hannibal is Brian Fuller, one of my favorite TV mm. writers. We're, we're getting deep here. He had teased the idea of kind of towing into Silence of the Lambs Ooh. through this series Ooh. and like Ooh. maybe even like 
hey, maybe we could get Ellen Page to be Clarice Jody Starling. Jodie Foster to be, oh, oh. Okay, yeah, so it's okay. like, okay, things are getting really interesting. But I, I'm hoping that works out. I just saw the episode where Gillian Anderson oh, guest stars. Man. So so that yeah. was great. Um, anyhow, Hannibal is great. If you want something actually even more gory and scary <laughs> and weird, I watched Ju-On Origins as well Wait, on what? Netflix. How dare you bring up these two things on the same topic? <laughs> Come on. There are people who liked it. I liked it. I thought uh, it was not exactly the same quality as the movies. The movies were really, really, only really Only the first good. Juan was any good. There were, but yeah, this is the whole thing. Even the prequel. I liked the prequel. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, I Anyhow, it's not, nowhere near as gory, but if you're a fan of the series, in the same way that if you're a fan of The Shining, the um, Doctor Sleep will make more sense to you. If you're a fan of Juan, the series, the movie series, I think you'll enjoy Origins because there are some... Yeah. Little hints and tastes <laughs> of like, of like what is actually like big hallmark things. In my the that my sound, thing about Juwan, uh, like that guy, that director, yeah, the the uh, croaking ghost, uh, that director yeah. just made the same movie over and over and over again. Like all the anyway, sequels felt the yeah. same. So anyway, I kind of like that. It's fine. Anyhow, go do that if you're a horror <laughs> fan. Now I have fine. Like I'm gonna leave you with two surprising slash educational. Things. One of the so these are two YouTube channels I've recently been introduced to, and uh, what the first is the lighthearted one, which is called I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, Aba or Abba and Prit and Preach. They hmm. basically do um, very real conversations and reactions to videos online. So like there's some videos uh, on YouTube by a channel called Jubilee where they play like strange games where you have to detect like who's the who's the boy out of this group of girls or like who's the one who's had plastic surgery out of these this group of people that sort of show and uh abba and preach kind of react to that and it's hilarious it's a lot of fun the other um youtube channel and this is a slightly more somber one that i want everyone to kind of consider watching is uh uncomfortable conversations with a black man and it's hosted by emmanuel acho he's a football linebacker uh i think for texas i'm not entirely sure uh but he you know, he started it a few weeks ago, I think, with uh, just him talking to the camera, answering questions about what white people can do after all of the Black Lives Matter yeah. stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. And I think he targets it towards white people because they were asking him a lot of questions. His friends, his circle was asking him a lot of questions. Second episode has him talking to Matthew McConaughey, who actually saw the first episode and was like, and reached out and was like, I want to talk. And they have a real conversation where they just you know, really go over some very important questions that people sometimes don't dare to ask. And he pitches, Emmanuel Acho pitches it as a safe space for you to ask all of these questions because he thinks that the conversation is what's the most important. You have to start somewhere, you have to start asking questions first. So I think that there's an episode, I think later, like a more recent episode that deals with interracial dating, where for me, even I'm not a black person, but I have a lot of similar experiences with interracial dating that I think that he addresses as well so it's a very good watch there's about seven episodes so far check it out on youtube if you want to learn about what's going on well that's it for this week folks our theme music is by game composer dale north our outro music is by our very own managing editor terrence o'brien the podcast is produced by ben elman you can find Sherlyn online at... On Twitter at Sherlyn Low. I can tweet now, even if I have a blue check. Don't read Sherlyn's tweets, please. You can find <laughs> me on Twitter at, at Devendra and I podcast about movies and TV at SlashFilm.com at the SlashFilmCast there. Email us at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Thanks for joining us, folks. We're out.